0: This is Comic Shanigan’s episode 528, A Conversation with Ed Brisson. Welcome to the Comic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 528. Today, I sit down with writer Ed Brisson to talk about his work on, uh, well, a bunch of different Marvel projects, but this has really been a big year as uh, a lot of the books he was started working on last year in 2016, finally saw fruition and published by Marvel. We're talking Bullseye. We're talking Iron Fist. We're talking Cable. Uh, so he's had a lot of projects that are coming out right now, and uh, they're actually very enjoyable to read. And so I got to sit down with Ed and talk about kind of his entry into comics, how that kind of came about. Uh, we'll also talk about... Uh, uh, <laughs> how he also was paying the bills for a while as a letterer in comics, uh, what that meant to him and uh, what it means to him to be able to now write full-time. You can email me at comicshandigans at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Our uh, upcoming episodes we are going to have uh, a conversation with John Rat Thomas is coming up soon. We're also going to have a conversation with Corey Saddlemire soon. So those are, uh, if you're coming to us from the Marvel Masterworks Forum, you're definitely going to want to uh, enjoy those two interviews. Uh, Corey has done an amazing amount of work um with the archives at marvel and also uh, putting together a lot of their collected editions but he also came up uh, as uh, axel alonso uh working in his office, uh, both as an intern and I guess uh, as an editorial um, assistant as well before eventually making his bigger mark um, in the uh, collection department but he also had a hand in a lot of different books as an editor at that time, so I'm excited to talk with Corey about that, and we're also going to do a bit of a Market Watch update with uh, John Rhett Thomas, otherwise known as Gormu just kind of talking about uh, books that came out this year, books that are uh, slowly going out of print, and also talking about uh, some of the surprises uh, that we've seen listed over the last year and a half, because it's been a little while since we've sat down actually for, since last time we sat down it's maybe a nine months or so but uh, a lot has happened and we also know a lot of the books that are coming out in the next five to six months so we actually do have kind of a year and a half's worth of content to talk about uh, either that's already been published or, or is about to be um anyways that'll be in our next couple of episodes we'll also have a conversation talking about uh star wars the last jedi that'll be our spotlight episode uh on i believe the 16th of december is when that comes out so we'll be recording it that evening and probably go up the next day anyways without further ado let's get right into the episode where we talk with ed brisson enjoy ed welcome to the comic shenanigans podcast how are you doing today i'm doing great and yourself i'm doing quite well i'm uh, excited to talk to you i was i was looking over your uh, your work and it's interesting that this seems to be the year that marvel found your number
1: oh sorry that's my dog he's a jerk uh yeah no it's uh, this last year has been really great with them um I've had actually a couple runs with Marvel Pass, mostly doing fill-ins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this seems to be the year that uh, I get to do series and get to really sort of strut my stuff.
0: Absolutely. Well, and not only strut your stuff, but like you've had some really good books. I mean, Iron Fist has been amazing. I loved your take on Bullseye. Uh, now you're writing Cable, so it's just like they just keep giving you a call, and you're like, "All right, I'll do that." Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's been good. It's been a lot of characters that I really like as well. So it's not uh, it's not been a case of me just taking on a job for the sake of taking on a job. It's uh, it's been characters that I really really enjoy uh, reading as a fan and now writing as a as a uh, comic book writer.
0: So speaking of being a fan, so what, how does your your kind of comic book origin story kind of come about? What is it about comics? When are you you introduced to comics? You know,
1: I honestly can't remember not reading comics um i think the like some of my earliest memories reading comics were when i was in the hospital i had tonsillitis get my tonsils taken out and i remember like like standard for most kids like you know get a cup uh, a stack of comics dropped off uh, to keep them company <laughs> um i remember like when i was younger going to like used bookstores Uh, with my mom uh, every weekend and they and just diving through the uh, the quarter bins or the 10 cent bins or whatever they were back then but um, yeah like I've been reading since since I can read I think and and since the early 80s so you know my my sort of introduction to comics the first stuff I remember reading uh, was uh, Captain Canuck which is uh, like a Canadian uh, superhero um, that you could buy those at any any store here it seemed for a while Mm -hmm. uh peter porker this uh spectacular (laughs) spider ham Mm -hmm. um captain carrot and his amazing zoo crew those two were like very early for me i was really into those um and then yeah just all over the place with with, you know batman and spider-man were big ones for me growing up uh followed by like sort of daredevil and punisher as i got a little bit older
0: hmm and now, did you ever kind of fall out of comics? Because some people are like, "Well, you know, I got a little bit older Never. than I fell out." But did you kind of stay like, in?
1: I feel like everybody falls out for a period. Uh, I fell out in uh, in around ninety five or ninety six. Okay, popular time um,
0: to pull top, popular time to pull out, I guess.
1: Because it it, comics were garbage then. <laughs> 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 There's very little in, in mainstream comics that you can point to from that time period that wasn't like crappy and I, and I know that's like that's you know I'm saying that and there's going to be people who have like favorites from that time period and I apologize but like the majority of it was garbage that was coming out at that point mm-hmm. and uh, you know and there was a lot of like Image was guilty of putting out a lot of issue ones uh, fewer issue twos almost non existent issue threes <laughs> and that that's what killed me um, and, the, and the quality on each seemed to just you know Keep going downward um, So yeah I stopped reading Mainstream comics In, in the mid 90's I was still picking up a lot of stuff from publishers Like uh, Drana Quarterly and Fantagraphics um, mm-hmm. Slave Labor And uh, you know A few of the other publishers that were around back then A lot of the um, Joe Matt, Chester Brown, Seth uh, uh, Dave Cooper sort of Comics mm-hmm. uh, I was really into Back then um so yeah I stopped around 90 I want to say 94, 95 maybe 96 and then picked up again about 5 years later
0: now what was it that kind of brought you back in
1: um it was you know I I was doing like uh, during that time I was creating comics as well I used to write and draw comics Mm -hmm. and I sort of got interested in mainstream comics and um rather than jumping back into reading them I had this idea for a comic I wanted to do which was a um police force that was tasked with only dealing with superheroes and the, the people in the police force would be superheroes and I was telling a friend he's like well you should check out this book called Powers <laughs> <laughs> before you do that and uh, so I went and picked up Powers and like my first thought was crap like this is you know it was what I wanted to do uh, but that was my introduction to Bendis um, and it was actually Brian Michael Bendis's work early on um, that brought me sort of back in so it was a lot, a lot of like Powers Uh, his work on Daredevil around the time, Mm -hmm. uh, and – god, what else was there? I'm totally blanking. Uh, Anyway, it was a lot of the Bendis' work that brought me back in 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 the early 2000s and then followed up by uh, uh, Ed Brubaker's work who – weirdly, I was familiar with Ed Brubaker's work from him writing and drawing a series called Low Life. Yeah. so it was, it was surprising to see him and that that's more I think Slave Labor I, I could be wrong but I think it was Slave Labor who put it out um, you know and that was more of an autobiographical style comic uh, which is what I'd been doing up until that point as well um, so seeing his name on books uh, was kind of odd but uh, you know I, I really got into Baker's work um, Greg Rucka was another one that brought me back, uh, you know that uh, really got me uh back into comics I think you know they'd gotten over that weird and crappy 90s period and, and uh, comics became kind of serious biz and really interested in storytelling again and it uh, you know it drugged me back in.
0: Well it's interesting because that that kind of early 2000s period felt like the rise of the writer again. Um, yeah. Because obviously, the nineties, the especially, was the you know the era of the artist. The, the art was sure. what was king. Um, I mean, image kind of typified that, and then suddenly the writer became a lot more important, and the storytelling changed as the two thousands kind of went along. And that's an interesting kind of development for the industry, considering what the two thousands sorry what the nineties had been. Right.
1: Well, I think, and I think a lot of that was in reaction. It, it was like that was definitely in reaction to to the to the nineties being so artist driven, and I think like this is not to take any way anything away from artists because there's a lot of great like um, auteur style creators who are artists and writers who can do both. Um, but I do I do definitely think that there are just like there are writers that can't draw. There are a lot of artists that can't write very well, <laughs> and and the you know. Bringing that back together, um, and and having the two working together to tell stories is, is much stronger. I do think you know th- there are criticisms being levied sometimes that uh, things have gone too writer centric, which which I can definitely see as well. Um, you know, for me, I'm always happiest when it's the two you know the synergy of the, of the art and the writing together. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think I think that was just a correction that was. Needed.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. And yeah, it just, it was nice to have that kind of course correction. And I think that's what kind of helped save the industry, too. Like, obviously, there was a lot of books that came out that were really solid, but you had more synergy going on between writers and creators uh, than maybe you had in the 90s when it was, again, more artist driven. And that was just a reaction to what was going on at the time. You had different art, like, different art than anyone's ever seen before. It made sense that that became the focus, but then a bit too much of the focus. Yeah. So when you yeah, when you're coming back oh, in, right, sorry. sorry, when you're coming back in and you know starting to kind of read and devour this stuff, and you're doing comics on your own and starting to develop your own ideas, um, how do you kind of make that that leap into more mainstream exposure?
1: Uh, well, I like for me, it was just like I was doing a lot of reading. That's all I was doing. I actually for the longest time didn't. Like, uh, I was creating comics, but I was doing more sort of autobiographical stuff. I was drawing them. My, my style is more cartoony, um, so I didn't really – sort of the stuff that I'm writing now, I wasn't writing back then because mm-hmm. I knew that it, my, arts, my art and that didn't work well together. Okay. Um, so in terms of me getting into mainstream comics, I started, like, putting together pitches – where I I was writing and I'd work with other artists um, to pitch things, and we pitched a few. Like I think I started doing that in like 2006. I sent off my first pitch, then 2008, and then I think two in 2009. Um, and uh, none of them got anywhere, but weirdly they all got very close. Like I, I got traction with them, really good feedback. Um, from publishers even the, like the very first pitch I sent in uh, sent to Image when Eric Larson was still in charge and he sent me a very kind very long email about you know he, he, how he could have gone either way on this book et cetera, et cetera and that uh, you know he encouraged me to keep pitching that you know I was on the right path um, but yeah I think I, I'd done about four pitches between 2006-2009 Um and then in 2010, I just stopped drawing and decided to focus on writing. Mm. And uh, I started doing a series called Murder Book, uh, which is a series of short crime comics, which you can find online, not all of them, but uh, a few of them are still up at murderbookcomic.com. And um, that was a thing where I, I kind of was frustrated with pitching. Like, I had only pitched about four, four or five times, I guess, which isn't a ton really, uh, compared to how often other people pitch. But, um, I was kind of frustrated with the whole process of putting together five pages cover, you know, sort of working on this thing for however long, you know, a couple months usually, um, mm-hmm. uh, to try and make a good impression. And then you send it off and you know, once you're done making the rounds, like five editors have seen it and that's it. And I thought maybe it'd be better to just pour my energy into creating short stories like five to 10 page stories that weren't necessarily for a publication that i could just put up online for free that people could read and um i like i'd stopped drawing completely at that point uh i was doing those comics in black and white um both because they were crime comics and because it was cheaper um to do that but um yeah and like i like crime is a genre i love it's a it's a genre that i've had been told several times is is just doesn't sell. It's a, it's a hard sell uh, to readers, and uh, so yeah, I just started publishing murder book comic online and um, started getting some traction out of that. Where where uh, you know some editors noticed my work, um, and reached out, and uh, it sort of opened a bunch of doors for me. Uh, I will say though, uh, also at the same time, since about two thousand six, I was lettering comic books. Uh, I had come out of a, a publishing program uh, in Vancouver and uh, was I was actually had a job as a creative director where I did a lot of um, sort of design of posters and, and um, reading materials and, and pre-press and all that sort of junk. And so I had like fairly good grasp on Illustrator, which is a program that you need uh, for lettering. And I started lettering my own comics, and then started taking on work lettering comics for other people. So I'd sort of like backdoored my way in a little bit <laughs> through lettering, mm-hmm. and um, and then like you know that that helped me, um, you know, in meeting other people, sort of in mainstream comics for sure.
0: Was that always kind of meant as a this is what I'll do for now until the the, the writing kind of takes off?
1: Sort of. It was always it was always the last thing I thought I'd ever do in the industry. <laughs> Um, it was just a thing that I knew how to do and I knew how to put books together for print, um, which is weirdly like not a common skill, um, among indie, uh, comic book creators. So I was able to pick up a lot of work, but it was always, um, yeah, it was always meant to be short term. It was just, just a, a means to, uh, pay bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, like I said, I was a creative director, um, I uh, had sort of an agreement with my wife that, uh, you know, my day job money would go to pay our bills and stuff like that. And my lettering money would go just get fed back into comic book projects, Hmm. uh, which is exactly sort of what I was doing. So I was feeding that money back into doing pitches and doing murder book shorts and stuff. And, but it was always meant to be like a short term thing. And I, I used to get like really anxious about it. Um, a friend of mine, um, Dave McCabe, he's a colorist. Does a lot of work for oh, yeah. DC. Mm-hmm. He lives in Vancouver, and I remember he used to always stressed me out by saying that that I should make sure that people know me as Ed the writer before they know me as Ed the letterer, because it'll always be impossible to sort of shake hmm. that uh, that thing that I'm a letterer. And I, I think that it, weirdly, there's this impression uh, with readers that if somebody starts out as a letterer, that somehow they always want to do a letter, be a letterer and that when they start writing comics, that somehow they're hopping out of their lane, and this is just some new thing that they decided they wanted to do. (laughs) Uh, Whereas opposed to anybody who works in the industry, you know, as a colorist, a letterer, artist, uh, uh, or writer, you know, clearly there are people who who wanted to be in the industry and want to become book writers. And it's weird that that people uh, tend to nail them down to the one one thing they're most commonly known for, uh, and and almost scorn them if they try and hop out and and do something else. So when I started writing, I, I dealt with that a lot. Like you know, uh, a lot of articles that would come out say you know, letter turned writer, oh, uh, which was weirdly frustrating since I'd been you know writing and self-publishing comics since 1994, and here we are in like you know 2012 and uh, and i'm being referred to as as you know letter return writer but whatever you know whatever gets you in gets you in so
0: for sure now when how did your like so you start breaking in and you're starting to write more when do you do that first marvel fill-in and how does that kind of come about
1: Uh, sorry, I missed the first part
0: of that. Well, so, you you know, so you start transitioning and and being able to start writing some projects. Where does, you know, the first kind of Marvel uh, fill-in kind of come in? And how does that kind of come about? Because that's kind of maybe a big call to get.
1: Yeah, it was a big call to get. It came about in the weirdest way possible. Uh, (laughs) Maybe not the weirdest way possible, but in the most, uh, uh, like I've got a horseshoe up my ass sort of way. Um... I was at C2E2 in 2013, and um, it was a few months after Image, uh, my book, uh, Comeback, with with uh, Michael Walsh uh, and myself and Jordi Belair came out, which actually coincidentally came out like five years ago today, which is – that that marks my first like published thing
0: mainstream. Oh, wow. <laughs> um,
1: but it was at the end of the show, and I had very few books left over and I live in Canada and when I come back home, I tend to not want to bring things of my own back into Canada. Um, just cause like traveling with your own stuff, there's this weird, like whether or not you're supposed to be, um, um, selling stuff in the States and then going across the board, it gets messy. Mm-hmm. So sometimes what would happen, especially back then is if I had only a few things left, uh, on my person, I would, at the end of the show, just give them to people walking by. And that's exactly what happened is somebody was walking by and, uh, you know, I said, Hey, do you like, you know, do you like crime stories? I I got this book called murder book and I handed it to this woman who took it, thanked me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, turned out that that was Lauren Sankovich who was an editor at Marvel. (laughs) Uh, When I handed those to her, I had no idea. I was literally just trying to get rid of stuff. And she hit me up about two months later saying that she'd read them, she'd really enjoyed them, and would I be interested in doing a, a two-issue fill-in on Secret Avengers because uh, Nick, Sp- Nick Spencer, who was writing it at the time, had, was going to be taking a couple issues off. So that's that's how that first one came about. It's, it's not anything I could have planned. Um, I'm actually, like, in person, a terrible, terrible uh, networker. So <laughs> I'm not one of those guys who, like, you know, uh, um, like – I, I I won't show up at a bar and try and schmooze with editors and other creators and stuff. I have a lot of, um, friends within the industry, but you know, they're just people I met at shows and stuff. Not, not through schmoozing. I'm terrible at it. (laughs) So anyway, that's how that came about. Um, and that was 2013, two issues, of secret Avengers. And those issues were so well received that they didn't give me any more work until 2015. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: and then 2015, I got like a 10-page thing. And it, it just uh, to go back, uh, so Lauren had given me those two issues. She was great. I, I really uh, – like I owe her everything. Um, but right after I'd finished those two issues, she left Marvel. And usually the thing is like an, if an editor brings you in, um, they're the one who, who try and put you on books. Mm-hmm. And uh, she'd left. And then I, I did keep in touch with the assistant editor on that book, which was John Moisen. Who um, was able to back in 2015? So two years later, he got me like a 10-page story in Secret Wars Battle World, um, which then I did that 10 pages, and then again, sort of nothing came afterwards. Um, but what got me in the third time, which is this time, is that um, Axel Alonso had apparently read um, murder book that that series I was talking about earlier. Dark Horse ended up collecting it. Oh yeah, um, and a copy somehow came across Axel Alonso's book uh, desk, and he'd read it and really liked it a lot, and wanted me on Bullseye, which is a thing that uh, I started on about a year and a bit ago, but it came out earlier in February of this year. So that that's sort of my my Marvel journey. That's that's how that all
0: happened. When you got p- pitched Bullseye, what what are, like what did the original kind of just like Hey, we're going to do a series of Bullseye. You want to write it or? How, did, how much of what you ended up developing kind of came through?
1: Um, they hit me up. They just Basically, the way it works is they, they just hit me up, asked me if I wanted to write it, uh, and then they asked me to, to send some pitches. Uh, is, are you asking like the story that I pitched them what came through?
0: Um, well, like with Bullseye, like they knew they were going to have a series with Bullseye. Did they have any idea yep. what that was going to look like, or it was just no. kind of like, here's the character, go.
1: Uh, basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was... Um, the one thing I was asked to do was bring bull bullseye, bullseye was dead. I was asked to bring it back from the dead and I spent two weeks putting together a pitch and the night before I was sending it off, um, I was reading the latest, um, uh, electro series mm-hmm. by Mike Del Mundo and I'm totally blanking on the art uh, the writer's name. Uh, I feel bad, but, um, what had happened is I had read that and the very, last couple issues to bring bullseye back from the dead (laughs) and so it's kind of like shit (laughs) like I just this is like and it's not like my whole thing hinged on that but it took up a a big part of the uh, the um, opening Mm -hmm. so I ended up having to toss that and I stayed up all night and I basically came up with what became the Columbian Connection uh, the one that I ended up doing and that one I pitched, and they liked it. Like, uh, there's very little that changed from the, the initial pitch to, to what you see in, in the uh, final book. You know, there's obviously there's tweaking scenes and stuff like that, but the story that I pitched is essentially the story that we told. Do you
0: think it was better that you didn't kind of have to kind of hamstring your story by having to explain something away, that you just kind of got to use the character clean?
1: yeah but they're even they were like they didn't want to hamstring me with that at all they they had said uh just figure out how he's back and, and just sort of like try and get that in as quick as possible and move on with the story rather than mm. dwelling on it um so but yeah just being able to hop into a story you know there's some elements that i kept um in in it that i, I wanted to do like you know, he still was off the grid for a long time, so I really wanted it to be a thing where uh, Bullseye <clears throat> isn't—he's not going out to Daredevil or anything like that because he's just freshly back, uh, he just wants to sort of shang- shake off the ring rust and get back into the uh, the swing of things, and you know, just wants a wants a gig where he can um, unleash as much damage as possible, and uh, that's that's what we did.
0: Was there any discussion with editorial ever about like did they ever say like don't use Daredevil or like don't have anything about Daredevil and just kind of make this just a Bullseye story? Because I guess when you're, just, when you're writing a character like Bullseye, I would imagine it's hard not to want to kind of include some sort of Daredevil appearance.
1: You know what? I don't. I don't remember if that was a conversation. To be honest, um, I remember not wanting to use Daredevil though, um, just because like every Bullseye story is a Daredevil story. Uh, usually, and I wanted a chance to just tell like a bullseye story without that baggage, hmm. and so just wanted to set him off on his own and and really try and build him up as a character outside of the uh, outside of Daredevil's shadow.
0: No, it's interesting too. You, so, I mean, it's ostensibly a bullseye story, but it's also an interesting family drama. <laughs> With you know this kid who wants to be able to do something, and then at the end, it's 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 very stark ending, but it it feels very bullseye. What kind of led you to kind of build this type of kind of family drama with bullseye still kind of playing in it as well, and still being bullseye?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm always just interested in doing like crime family stories. Anyway, again, this ties back into my my interest in crime, and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like I think that. One thing that I, I I find interesting to play around with is definitely like um, sort of uh, generational crime, like like mafia today is not like mafia, you know, 20 years ago, which is not like mafia 20 years before that. Like it's constantly changing, and um, but I think there is a this weird um, like in media, in comics, film, whatever, we're kind of always stuck on the like the 70s. Hmm. godfather style thing and so i wanted to play around with that a little bit i don't i just i just like the the idea of like the, you know the son trying to f- screw over the father and and basically everyone's trying to screw everyone else over and uh, i was trying to make it you know trying to write something there where you know we're we're beyond like double and triple crosses it's you know everyone everyone's out to screw out the other screw over the other person and um you know, I thought that with you know with the with the um, the son of the uh, the crime boss, I thought it was an interesting way into that.
0: Hmm. Well, it's interesting too because you know Bullseye is he's almost um, kind of fun-loving in the way he kind of takes on the missions. Like he's just kind of—it's almost like he's having too much of a good time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But, no, I and I think like he. D- You know when when i started writing the book there i think there's as a uh, as a writer there's a um feeling that you have to humanize him and make him relatable and that was one of the things when i first got it that i really wanted to push back against and you know marvel was really cool that for letting me do whatever sort of take i want on it and i just want to do him as a uh, as a psycho and um you know, he's straight he's just that for self, but he's he took this job to have as much fun as possible and to rack up as high a body count as possible. That was like his his one directive to his agent when he when he starts out. <laughs> and uh, so I just want I just wanted to lean into that as hard as possible and just make this book as fun as it could be.
0: Uh, how did you um end up with guillermo on on art was were they kind of did they already have an artist when they kind of put you on the book did you did they kind of have a short list or did they just kind of provide you the name like how did that kind of work out
1: i think he was already on the book like the, he was already someone they were eyeing for the book when they signed me on it uh, i think he was fairly new I, he'd done some deadpool work before if, mm-hmm. I, if i recall um and i know he's done some stuff in spain but um no, he was a good choice. I liked his art a lot. I thought he had a, he had a lot of fun uh, with it and added quite a bit to a lot of the scenes.
0: Now, how detailed are your scripts for a book like this?
1: Um, I write, like, I do write, like, page and panel. Uh, I write fairly um, descriptive panels, but not overly descriptive. I feel like I give the writer, or sorry, give the artist enough to get in there and, and give a sense of the scene. I try and put it details I need in there but I don't want to um, I don't want to suffocate the artist mm-hmm. uh, I definitely want it like I want it to feel like you know I'm I'm giving them enough that I'm le- not leaving them stranded but I'm not giving them so much that it's just like that I'm treating them just like a hired hand you know I, I really want everything that I do to feel as collaborative as possible so I want as much of their voice in it as there is of mine
0: mm-hmm and you said before that you were working on it, I guess, a, a long way before it ended up getting published?
1: Uh, yeah, I, th- I started on it. I got offered it in June of 2016, and uh, originally it was going to come out later in the year, and then they, um, they did that um, uh, Running with the Devil sort of mini thing tying in the books together so they, they launched them all together. So it got pushed back to February, I believe. Okay. So a few months. Not not nothing massive. And it made like from a marketing percep- perspective it made a lot of sense.
0: Now, so uh, when you get Iron Fist, so have you already at that point written most of Bullseye? Like at what point in the kind of creation process did they come to you with Iron Fist and or were you pitching for like a, a new book? Like how did that kind of come about? Because Bullseye I... was a mini series, but now Iron Fist is an ongoing.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I um, I got offered Iron Fist in October of 2016. Uh, late October or maybe early November. Um, so just over a year ago anyway. And um, it was just a thing that uh, I'd gone to New York Comic Con, so I'd actually been able to meet some of my editors face-to-face. Uh, they seemed to be happy with the work I was doing on Bullseye. And um, I you know, obviously – let them know i was open for more work uh uh iron fist came at a really weird time for me like at the best possible time where like i was doing bullseye but um i didn't have much else coming in and i I literally was at this point where i thought maybe i'm done in the industry like maybe bullseye is going to be my swan song i didn't know um and i was looking at the same day that they offered me iron fist i was looking at part-time jobs oh wow uh and they offered that to me which staved that off and then like everything since has been just glorious um but uh yeah it was just they offered it to me it wasn't anything that I lobbied for it wasn't a book that I even knew was coming um but uh Jake Thomas and um uh, Axel Alonso called me up and asked me if I'd be interested in writing it and uh yeah definitely Iron Fist is one of my favorite characters so I was thrilled at the opportunity
0: now, what uh, when they offered, again, kind of like with Bullseye, what, was there any kind of preconceived notion of what they wanted the Iron Fist book to look like, or were you kind of given carte blanche to kind of carve out your own niche?
1: Yeah, nothing, nothing really. They were just like, uh, you know, they wanted to tell sort of a classic Iron Fist uh, story. And, um, you know, I grew up watching a lot of uh, Shaw Brothers Kung Fu flicks. Um, <clears throat> and so I, what I really wanted to do is make something that felt like a Shaw Brothers film, you know, uh, in terms of storytelling and, and feel. And so, you know, I, I pitched him a few different ideas and the one that we landed on was, was a tournament, uh, on the Island. But, um, but yeah, they did, there wasn't a preconceived, uh, there wasn't a, a plan at the gate. They just wanted an iron fist book, wanted to know what, what sort of ideas I had for it. And so I pitched them a bunch and we went back and forth a bit before we figured it all out. And, and, you know got everything to where where it was when we started but uh yeah they, they let me just kind of pitch them whatever wacky idea i had
0: well what about the like the way you wanted to portray the character that kind of had you entering him as being kind of this uh not broken necessarily but definitely kind of searching for meaning again like what what was it about the character you thought that lent itself all to that type of story and kind of provided you the impetus to get him on this island in having this tournament
1: Uh, Well, I think, like, at the end of the Kari Andrews uh, Iron Fist Living Weapon run, uh, Kunlun's destroyed, right? And um, one of the things I really wanted to explore is, like, Iron Fist is supposed to be the protector and uh, the champion of Kunlun. So, like, what does that position look like when the city you're supposed to protect is in ruins? And you can't get back there to do anything about it. You know, when we start the series, there's no way for Iron Fist to get back to Kunlun. So I just wanted to start the story in a place where like, how, how is this affecting him? Like to my mind, he he would feel helpless. He's not, you know, and he's kind of, you know, he's losing his connection with his Chi and he's not sure why. Um, and I thought, you know, that seems to me, um, like jumps off from the last series fairly well, but puts Iron Fist in a a position that's easily understandable for new readers. Um, we can sort of through there sort of reintroduce who he's about as he rediscovers who he is.
0: Hmm. How much fun was it to kind of develop these other masters?
1: That was a a ton of fun. (laughs) Those guys are great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we like, uh, Mike Perkins and I did that, uh, like I sent him the seven uh, masters with the like just a brief description, and then he would send back art, and then based on his art, I would like, kind of rewrite the characters and tweak them more so that you know they were as as sweet as possible. But yeah, that was a ton of fun.
0: Who was your favorite?
1: Uh, the Rat of Twelve Plagues.
0: Yeah, not yeah
1: I in, think he's just not he's the just arm- a nasty dude. Not not, the, What's
0: that? not. I was gonna say not the armless one.
1: The resourceful snake i like him too a lot he, he's definitely up there for me um but uh at the rat of 12 plagues he just he's just a nasty dude mm. and i like that that aspect of him a lot
0: when you're um when you're writing um all the moves that that he's doing or that both masters are doing when they're fighting each other um what is it like kind of de- develop it like are you like what where are you pulling these names for all the the moves from
1: Mostly out of my rear, like they're not—they're not real, they're not real moves. No, um, uh, but like I do take real moves um, and, and, and sort of try and tweak the names, and I try and make them sound as as real as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not because I, I don't want to research the moves. It's just uh, it, it to me that's one of the fun things about it, and and sort of ties into it being a fictional. World and and this mythical sort of uh, style of kung fu, mm-hmm. uh, but like I grew up like <clears throat> my my both my dad and brother are karate instructors um, or they were um, my dad retired from it a, uh, a few years ago my brother gave it up but um, when I was starting out I would talk to them a lot and sort of figure out like uh, just to get the feel right but that that whole thing with the moves you know that's just something that I'm. Uh, also, just picking up from what uh, Brew and Fraction had done back in the Immortal Iron Fist, where they, you know, when they had the fights, they would have, mm-hmm. they would list the moves as they were doing it. So I just wanted to sort of continue that and keep that that going. On.
0: Now, um, do you have you repeated any of them? I haven't actually noticed for sure, but like, are they always unique?
1: No, I haven't repeated any yet, which is uh, a point of pride and a point of uh, incredible frustration for me because <laughs> it it is it's incredible how hard it is to sometimes uh, come up with move names and every so often I'll slip a joke in there that's like a joke move that like uh, I think that only I will get every so often people get the joke you know not always Um,
0: I did like the New York subway mugger foot stomp
1: yes (laughs) but like some of those and and again this is like you know I don't want to take full credit because that's definitely something that that Brubaker and, and, and Fraction would do where they'd slip in like you know <clears throat> some weird thing and, and then have like a funny one there. But, uh, again, I'm just, I'm just continuing the tradition. <laughs>
0: um, what's it like working with Mike?
1: Mike is great. I like working with Mike a lot. Um, I, I finally got to meet him like two weeks ago. We hung out for a weekend. Um, I had a great many hangovers as a result, but, uh, <laughs> um, no, he's a ton of fun to work with. I think like he, he and I, um, get along quite well. And, um, like it's definitely like it feels like a really collaborative book um and i knew it would kind of get that way early on when um initially i was writing fight scenes and i would you know i would completely sort of map them out in the book i'm like you know i'd break them down panel by panel and one of the early fight scenes i wrote i think i wrote five um five panels and i'm just looking around to see if it's on my desk here but it's not uh, I wrote five panels, and I think when he sent it back, it was, like, 20 panels. It was crazy. <laughs> and uh, so I sent him a message, you know, uh, you know we'll chat periodically through um, Facebook chat or whatever. He and I – and <clears throat> I just asked if he would be cool if I just – instead of break, if me breaking down the fights, if I just say, like, you know, if they fight on this page, uh, point, point form, like, some things that we need to have happen or, or, or important beats and then um just kind of let him loose i feel like the book is stronger uh those pages specifically are stronger if i just stand out of his way and let him go nuts Hmm. and um and i think that shows in the book i think like the fight scenes are all pretty electric they're pretty incredible Um, but yeah he and i he and i uh, enjoy working uh together a great deal He's, he's a guy i hope i work for or work with for a long time
0: now you got to use Shang Chi, which is always kind of a nice fit with uh, with with um, Iron Fist. Was that easy to kind of get them to sign off on? Because we don't always see a lot of Shang Chi.
1: That was actually Marvel asked uh, because originally the the um, uh, Sabretooth arc was going to come fairly close after the the first arc um, with the Legacy um, initiatives that they had, mm-hmm. but. Um, Scheduling wise, we needed two other issues, and uh, Marvel suggested um, Shang-Chi, and I was I was down for that for sure. Like he's a character I wanted in the book at some point anyway, and uh, so yeah, there no, was no no difficulties getting them to sign off. They were the ones who wanted it, and uh, hmm. it was a lot of fun to do.
0: Now speaking of, of the you know the current run with with sabertooth so when Legacy was kind of coming on the horizon um, whose idea was it to kind of bring Sabretooth into the book
1: I believe that was I want to say it was Axel's idea Um, he was the one who suggested it first uh, because one thing that you know Iron Fist fans probably know but most other readers probably don't know is that Sabretooth actually debuted in Mm -hmm. Iron Fist Oh, yeah. As, so his very first appearance was him fighting Iron Fist. So they wanted to sort of um, tie back into that and, and uh, try and do something interesting. And uh, I already had a story that I kind of want to tell that, that uh, Sabretooth actually fit quite nicely into and, and actually, I think, helped add a lot of depth to that story.
0: Now, I mean, obviously I guess only two issues have come out with with, uh, Sabretooth so far, but um, I really like the dynamic they have between the two, and it seems like we're getting a version of Sabretooth we never get to see. Like, we always get to see him framed against certain, you know, characters. We've seen him with Deadpool, we've seen him with Wolverine, and those are kind of his classic foils. Seeing him with a character like Iron Fist, who, yes, they have a history, but for most modern readers don't usually get to see that or have never really seen that before. It's really nice to kind of see how they play off of each other.
1: Yeah, and I think, like, you know, to me, like Iron Fist, he's a character I like writing a lot. Uh, but he's a guy who, like, mostly grew up in in Kulun, separated from from you know his his life here in New York and, and stuff. So he's kind of like in a lot of ways still a, like an outsider. And he's you feel like when he's making jokes, it's always him. I feel like trying to kind of fit in, and uh, like Sabretooth's got no time for jokes. <laughs> and yeah, I think that there's like yeah the. the The dynamic between the two because they're working together. They don't really want to be working together. Uh, Iron Fist is trying to make the the best of the situation. Sabretooth is just kind of annoyed all the time. Um, And I think it makes for like a really fun odd couple style pairing. Um, And it is weirdly like I like writing those two together more than I thought I would. (laughs) Um, I thought it would be sort of a weird chore to like make them uh, like it, I thought it would be a struggle to make those two characters work together in scenes, and then once I started writing and, and it sort of had the, the voices the way I want to tell, it seemed to just make a lot of sense, and, and you know, some of the dialogue sometimes just writes itself, and it's, it's quite a bit of fun.
0: Well, it's interesting when you mention the idea of them kind of being like an odd couple, because I mean, if you go back to when Marvel first put Iron Fist with Power Man, I mean, they were kind of like that too, where Power Man didn't really have Time for what Iron Fist was doing, either. Like it was, you know, this very odd couple. I mean, now we we so take it for granted because it's been so ingrained for so many years. But when those two characters were first put together, that was strange. Like those those weren't supposed to mix.
1: Yeah, but I feel like you know, um, definitely both characters, um, you know, have kind of their roots in genre cinema that was happening at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, to me, even back then, it made sense that they were. Like I understood, I I could see why they were put together, but yeah, they're definitely there's not much other than that 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 really initially ties them together, um, and yeah, like this is just this is more the same. It's but it's it's I don't say oh that is really fun, you know. Uh,
0: (laughs) When when you have the two characters visit the bar with no name, um, what made you decide to use Bruiser as your uh, as your doorman? Um,
1: you know what? I was going through a long list. I had a long list of who was going to be the doorman. Uh, and originally I wanted to have Ox. Uh-huh. Um, but for some reason Ox was not available uh, to be used. And so I went with Bruiser. And I feel like the thing I like about Bruiser is this dude who he's trying so hard,
0: <laughs>
1: you know, to be this big bad. Yeah. And he's he's kind of that guy who kind of i feel like to me he'll do anything to sort of get there so working the door at like a notorious bad guy hangout seems like the kind of thing that he would do as a as a foot in the door you know <laughs> um yeah that, and that's why he's there
0: and the idea of of you know this uh, the reason why these two characters kind of come together is because of constrictor what where did that kind of inspiration come from to use Constrictor as a, as a kind of a, a reason for these two men to come to come together.
1: Um, well, yeah, I, for me, I think it's just because like I was trying to find a way to bring them together and then just having somebody steal Danny's book, like, um, you know, and having Constrictor being the one, it seemed like an easy way to bring Sabretooth in. Um, To help find Constrictor, but um, when I first started writing it uh, and putting together the pitch, I was trying to make that work, and I wasn't quite sure how I was going to make it work. And then when I was getting there, I realized that Constrictor's dead, (laughs) and and I was like, "Shit!" But like, you know, like there was some dynamic there that was working; something was missing. And weirdly enough, the fact that. Constrictor's dead was the thing that was missing that there's somebody else there in Constrictor's clothing um, who, who robbed Danny that to me seemed to be the way to to bring uh, a, a Sabretooth into it um, because Sabretooth you know he, he doesn't he doesn't really care about Danny he's not going to help Danny just because Danny asks or, or anything like that but you know Sabretooth and Constrictor were a duo for years um, and they both went good, basically at the same time, or close to the same time. Mm-hmm. And you know, like Sabretooth isn't good, good, but he's you know kind of <laughs> like kind of good. He's not <laughs> a bad guy anymore. He's not. He's not a heel, but he's like he's like a reluctant. He, you know, he's in term anti-hero because he's not really that either. I think he's just a dude who. who he's not necessarily happy being good. Um, but I think that his friend went good. Um, and then his friend, uh, and the constrictor died of, uh, cancer, I believe. Uh, the fact that, uh, somebody else is running around in the costume, I think would really offend Sabretooth, uh, because that person's crapping on constrictor's legacy, which, and also conveniently tied into the fact that this was a legacy series, uh, <laughs> ac- accidentally, but I'll, I'll take it. Um, and uh, it just seemed like a good way to bring Sabretooth in and get Sabretooth interested.
0: Was, was, it, yours or, was it yours or was it Mike's idea to kind of uh, give Sabretooth the long hair again?
1: That would be Mike's, yeah. Yeah.
0: Because it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of have that back because for a while, like, he's had kind of more of a short hair thing going on. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to have him looking a little bit more feral. And I, I don't know why long hair somehow does that, but it seems to achieve it for him. Right. So speaking of, you know, feral characters, how did Old Man Logan kind of come about? Because, you know, a a big, important run had happened for, like, the last two years, and now it's yours.
1: Yeah, it's, again, like, uh, I wish it was, like, a more interesting story. Like, I had to fight someone to death for it. uh,
0: (laughs) That could be the new story.
1: Yeah. Uh, Marvel just called me and and offered it to me late last year. Um, And, you know, Old Man Logan and Wolverine is sort of a bucket list character for me i i'm canadian and growing up like it was always comforting that the you know who we who i thought was the coolest character in the marvel U was um, canadian as well mm-hmm. and so it was yeah it was just a thing that they offered to me and uh, and uh we went from there
0: and you get to be paired with mike deodato jr which yes. is an amazing collaborator in a book like that
1: yeah, absolutely. It was not stressful at all. Um, <laughs> it, like it, that was that one was hard uh, in that like you know Iron Fist was a fresh thing, and while I was stressed out about doing like a new series, um, and I knew like you know people are going to compare it to the Kari's run, people are going to compare it to the Brew Fraction run, um, to come on to um, Old Man Logan after Mark Miller, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, and Jeff Lemire uh, was definitely. Definitely stressful, um, but uh, yeah, he's just, he's a character I like a lot, and uh, you know they, uh, you know, I've done some pretty brutal things, Old Man Logan, in the book, and and Marvel's been supportive of that, so it's been pretty great. It's been a lot of fun to write.
0: And what kind of um, prompted you to kind of have a version of Maestro and kind of it's very kind of different because I mean, uh, Lemire did a very different kind of take on the character, and then yours is more. Uh, a little bit more bombastic, but exce- you know, kind of ratchets up the action. You have Maestro. You have you know different versions of of kind of the, of, of the kids of uh, the Banner Kids. What kind of prompted you to kind of do something like that?
1: That was again, it was a thing that Marvel was interested in, sort of like trying to. Um, they wanted to bring Maestro into the like that the feature imperfect Maestro into the six one six. It was it was they'd already sort of toyed with it a little bit. Um, yeah you know, I just wanted to you know bringing him in I, I thought it would be really interesting to have maestro versus Logan because like Logan already took down the the banner in the wastelands back in the original old man Logan series who was kind of this weird hillbilly hiding in a cave <laughs> uh, broken version of banner and uh, I, you know it seemed to me it was would be really interesting with maestro that you've got this this future version of maestro so you've got like old man logan versus old man hulk first essentially but also you've got maestro who thinks he is uh, more intelligent than everyone smarter than everyone and a better tactician than everyone um the two of them going head to head i it just seem to me like it would be an interesting battle
0: and being able to kind of put Old Man Logan with uh, a young version of Hawkeye, what was that kind of like to play with?
1: That was a lot of fun, actually. Um, I think that uh, it, it's interesting. The one thing that's always interesting to me about Old Man Logan is he he's lived. You know, he lived in the wasteland, et cetera, for for you know, fifty years beyond when most people died in in his timeline. And so when he comes back to our timeline, you see in the first few issues that Jeff Lemire did, where he's sort of trying to reconnect with the people he knows. And I really like playing, playing around with those relationships a little bit where he and Hawkeye were buds in, in the original old man Logan series, but like obviously the six one six Hawkeye and old man Logan don't have much of a relationship at all. And, it 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 just creates a weird dynamic between the two characters because old man Logan knows him, but this Hawkeye doesn't really know old man Logan. So they have a it's like a, a weird strained friendship that exists for one, it doesn't for the other. And I think like Hawkeye is one of those guys who who who's just sort of like curious about it and trying to find out like you know what what his future version was like and and. Just playing around with that I thought was quite a bit of fun. And Hawkeye's
0: fun to write. For sure. Now, working with uh, with Mike, you said before but when you're working with um, uh, Perkins on, how to, on on the choreography of Iron Fist and how, what you kind of originally put in the script. When you're working with Mike, how, how does that kind of translate? Because, I mean, especially you know the most recent issue, I guess issue 30, you had a lot of action packed into those panels. How much sure. was in your script and how much was it more just like they're going to fight? do your choreography the way you do it um
1: i think there was more in in old man logan and that's not um which is not to say that dead atto wouldn't have killed it if i if i pulled back but i think the difference between uh, iron fist and and, um old man logan is iron fist he's a guy who's fighting a lot with like fists in his hands and I I feel like sometimes there's only so many ways I can write that Mm. Um, and then so letting Mike kind of go loose a bit with it is fine Uh, but in Old Man Logan you know Maestro's hitting them with a truck at one point like (laughs) so it's it's just a little bit different in in choreographing but also in in both cases like I'm uh, as a writer when I'm working with an artist I try um, to not be as like particular about things. So Dad Adda would do stuff like, you know, he would take the script and he might change things around. And that was always cool uh, with me. The only time I ever have an issue if when an artist changes things around is if it's something that is required there for the story that somehow gets lost, mm. uh, which has happened to me uh, in the past, not in the last couple couple years, but I, I've had that happen in the past where like all of a sudden you get to the end of the issue and you're like, oh crap, this thing that like we seeded in on page three wasn't there we don't have it in the end. Um, so I tend to, I still like those big action scenes. I try and script out, but again, leave room for the artists to just kind of go nuts. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Issue 30 is interesting my- too, just because of, of, the way he uses kind of the white borders on all the panels, like even in, in, in set at times, so it was just an interesting visual sense. And I'm wondering if any of that was kind of in your script or if that was just,
1: no, 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 that's yeah. all, that's all data He, he's got that, that crazy style is going on. That's, uh, that's just beautiful to look at and that's that's all him
0: okay yeah no it's 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 really interesting to look at and it's just an interesting choice and it really makes the whole sequence play differently than w- in a good way and i'm not even sure how like how how someone comes up with that kind of idea of kind of breaking out like it's in the panel the action's not stopping but there's still kind of a panel break in the middle and i'm just kind of like it works and i, I almost yeah. don't know why it works <laughs>
1: No, he's a dead out is an incredible storyteller. So that sort of stuff, that's all him, and it's all beautiful.
0: Now, uh, upcoming, what can you tell us about the uh, the upcoming Scarlet Samurai story?
1: Um, man, you know it's funny because like I keep forgetting what's out, so I, I always <laughs> keep thinking Scarlet Samurai's out. I don't know that I can tell you too much. It's just like it's uh, it's going to be, you know. Um, you know, obviously, it's it's someone from, from Logan's past who's now back as a Scarlet Samurai. But uh, it's a pretty fun, pretty big story um, that involves Scarlet Samurai. Uh, we've got Silver Samurai in there, uh, Gorgon in the hand. And uh, it's a story that um, I don't think readers will know when they're reading it, but there are things that are going to happen in this story that are going to have very long-term effects on Logan, that are going to affect him a year down the road. Um, you know, we've been planning out where we're going, what's this story, and and there's a lot of stuff that's that's being seeded here, and we're sort of seeded loosely a bit in in the um, the uh, Maestro run, but you know, you're going to start seeing a bit more, and uh, so that that's all I can really say. That everything here m- means something down the line.
0: Okay, and. Now that we know that you know the action, the the kind of the the regular Logan is on his way back from the dead. um, Does that kind of uh, I guess it would in some ways affect what you're doing on your book as well?
1: Uh, It actually it it ties into what we're doing pretty nicely. Um, So yeah, that definitely that like Wolverine being back is definitely going to affect Logan, um, like deeply. Like it's I think like. The one thing about old Man Logan is he's from an alternate future, right? So even though he's back here and he's got his X Men back, it he's always been like the surrogate Wolverine. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He's not, you know, and, and that's fine. Like between them, uh, that's good. It's, it's been good, you know, the, um, to have that sort of relationship back. But I think for Logan, when wolverine comes back when the real wolverine is back that that timelines or this timeline's wolverine is back i think that's going to affect him sort of deeply but he's not obviously he's not the kind of guy who's going to talk about it he's not going to sit down and talk about his feelings <laughs> but you know um he's also the kind of um cranky old dude who's uh you know uh gonna just kind of keep it all to himself and just you know maybe wander off and, and, and not discuss it just they've got their Wolverine back so why they need him sort of thing hmm. and uh, so I think that it's, it's actually going to really mess with him uh, on on an emotional level but in a way that he's not he's not going to share with anyone
0: and before we close out we also, we're, we're forgetting one of your Marvel works uh, you're working on cable right now that's right yep yeah. Now again, so you you, you know you're, you're following up Lemire on Old Man Logan. Now you're following up Robinson on Cable. What was it kind of like getting that? And and again, how did that kind of come about? Because you know uh, Robinson was only writing it for what five issues, and then when it reverts to Legacy, it's you. So where did that cha- kind of change come about? Was that always the plan?
1: Uh, I'm not sure to be honest. If uh, I think he was only meant to be on for the six issues, I think it was six that he was on. I could be wrong. Maybe it was five.
0: Um, I, think, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it was six. Oh, no, it was five. It was five.
1: Okay. And then they approached me uh, asking me if I wanted to uh, come on and work on it um, for the legacy. And um, yeah, like they, you know, they had a team that they wanted cable to be with and wanted some sort of story around that. And for me, like I, you know, the early 90s was sort of my real, like, like when i decided i really wanted to get into comics and, and make comics and stuff and and cable was one of the the hot books it was a book i loved back then and uh given the opportunity what i really wanted to do was sort of tie in a story that that um, tied back into a lot of that 90s stuff mm-hmm. uh but also made sense <laughs> <laughs> and so that that's just kind of what we i've been trying to do for the for this uh five issue arc here is just have this story that, that feels modern but also sort of pays tribute to a lot of the stuff that was going on back in the
0: 90s. Now the characters that you're using, the fact that you're using the Eternals, like, was how much of that was kind of in the, use the character, use this or how much of that was kind of coming from you?
1: That was that was me. That was, uh, you know um, I, I don't want to spoil for people who aren't reading head on the solicits on, on who the big guy who's coming back is. Uh, and it's also like a dude that I think only readers from the 90s would recognize. But it was a character where I, when they asked me to do it, you know, I hit them up the next day. I'm like, well, what if we brought back blank? And they were all into it. So, you know, that was our, that was, you know, where we kicked off and uh, and um, what I've sort of been building to in the series.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, yeah, because the externalists, I mean, I can't even remember the last time they were mentioned.
1: Yeah, they, they were like 93 94 and then there was a brief mention of them here and there like every so often there'd be a mention of them but probably not for at least like 10 years um but like Celine obviously being one of the externals she's still around she's uh she's played a big part in a lot of X-Men stories um but she was she was around before really the introduction of the externals mm mm-hmm. um so, yeah, it was just I, I thought it'd be a fun opportunity to, to do like sort of a deep dive on some cable history. And
0: um, what better time than the Legacy Initiative, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Like if, if this isn't the time to bring it back, then there never is.
1: Right. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just I, uh, hopefully uh, people dig it. I mean, just trying to write it as a really fun book.
0: Well, it's nice to collect the cast, too, which I think kind of keeps it exciting that, yeah, you know, it's, it's characters you're not used to seeing together, so at least not all of them, so seeing them kind of interact is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's, like, another one where, like, you know, some of the, the character interactions have actually sort of surprised me as I've been writing it. Like, there's seems to be, like, a really cool um, rapport going on throughout it between Cable and Armor that was not something I was expecting when I was uh, sitting down to write it.
0: Hmm now what is it like working with John in this book
1: John's been great and he's got you know he's still he's got that sort of like 90s um edge to his work like you see that that influence without it being that if that makes sense it does um (laughs) and uh so yeah he's been he's been selling the hell out of it like you know that uh he's been drawing some incredibly big uh awesome action pieces throughout and uh Really, selling some of the craziness that I wanted to have in the book.
0: So I mean, so really, I, so as you said, uh, even though a lot of these projects have come out in 2017, really a lot of them kind of started their genesis in 2016. Um, so it's kind of been a very kind of busy year and a half. Uh huh. Yeah. Now, what? Um, so you're writing like a bunch of books right now, but what? What kind of characters are on your top of the bucket list that you'd really love to work on?
1: Uh, my bucket list right now. Um, Oddly, like it's getting smaller because I, I've managed to get a bunch of those characters in. Um, like, like Wolverine and Iron Fist are both bugless characters for me. Hmm. Um, a a weird one that like I, 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 a couple weird ones that are like characters I would love to write and make cool and interesting in the Marvel universe are um, Speedball. <laughs> Yeah, which he's just a, that, this dude who I have a soft spot for, and I'd love to make him sort of relevant in the Marvel universe. Uh, and same like Power Pack, which is a, a book I grew up reading, hmm. where I have like what I think could be a cool take on it. Um, and same with Cloak and Dagger. Um, but like my top bucket list uh, right now uh, at Marvel would be uh, both Punisher and Daredevil.
0: Okay. No, um, this is kind of a weirder question but which characters do you think that you would be the most intimidated to write
1: between Daredevil and Punisher no just in general or like, just in general yeah just anyone mm-hmm. I think not characters but like team team books tend to intimidate me quite a bit because I like I stress out a lot about um, about uh, um, making sure everyone has their moments and 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 mm-hmm. uh, servicing each character the way they need to be. But in terms of like one character, I don't know. Um I would say like maybe either like Thor or Captain America. Okay. In terms of intimidation, like um like like getting getting a either a Punisher or a Daredevil book would be intimidating and shit. But because I've been reading those for years, mm. I feel like I could I could figure out a way in. Um Captain America is just, it was not a book that I read a ton growing up. Uh, and being Canadian, I would feel weird uh, <laughs> writing it. Um, and Thor is one of those because it's a book that I've only recently gotten into. Like, I avoided it all my childhood and, and my teen years uh, for reasons that I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I have, because I have no idea. I can't remember why I would avoid it. Mm-hmm. But I just never, I th- it's just a weird mythological. Uh, aspect to it just didn't interest me that much but like this Jason Aaron's uh, run on Thor over the last however many years he's been writing it now has been so good and so incredible that I would love to write it but I would also like have to just re- do so much research to get into in, into writing it because mm. there's, I think that, that Thor world is so vast and it, it relies on so much Weird mythology that I'm not familiar with. Um, so those two would be intimidating just in those ways.
0: And um, are you kind of now that like all all of these books are kind of taking off and the writing is finally kind of taking hold? Um, will we ever see the return of you as as, an, as a letterer, or are you just you just a writer now, back to being what no, you wanted no, to be? No
1: more no more lettering for me. Um, it's too stressful. I actually like I have a creator-owned project that has been in the works for quite a while. Um, that's up on, on Steeler or Stella I don't know how to pronounce it dot com, I think okay it's a it's a comic site that makes comics for you to read on your phone essentially and uh, that's a thing that we've been working on for about a year and a half and it's finally just coming out and I've been I have to letter it and even <laughs> I like I started lettering it and I was like oh god I, I just went and got someone else to do it I just can't <laughs> I can't anymore. Like I, I, I have said for the longest time that I'll probably letter my own creator-owned stuff when I'm going to do new creator-owned stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even now, I'm not sure that's actually true.
0: I mean, if you ever did, we could always just say, you know, this is this is this is Ed, the uh, you know writer turned letterer.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, if if one article comes out that says that, I would be thrilled.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, for chatting with us today about your projects, and uh, they've been really uh, fun and interesting to read, and I can't wait to see more of uh, of all of them, but especially Iron Fist. It's just been such an interesting uh, new take, but not even necessarily a new take. It's. Take it, it's kind of taking what other people have done, but ratcheting it up to the next level. And I love the uh, the interaction with Sabretooth. I kind of hope he sticks around.
1: All right, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, and, and who knows? We'll see. We'll Sabretooth.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.